The enemy likes to attack anywhere it can. Now, some people would say a Mac is the weak link of all this. Uh, <laughs> so, it, it, all you can do at this point is laugh, and hopefully, hopefully everybody was able to worship the Lord in their hearts. Um, it's a good day. It's a good day. It is. Um, I would also just like to thank everybody that was here yesterday for the work day. Um, it is amazing to see God's people together, um, some of them not knowing each other, but yet being brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing them go for a common goal, and um, very, very thankful. And so if you were a part of that, um, I just want to personally thank you, and um, I'm just highly encouraged by everything that happened yesterday. So, thank you. We are going to be in Second Thessalonians. We've been uh, following our reading plan, um, and we are in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We just came out of First Thessalonians, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a review on that, but uh, let me go ahead and read Second Thessalonians, and if you have that in your Bible, or if you have that on your electrical device, go ahead and, and turn there, and um, let me just go ahead and read this. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief who are troubled and, is, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And on that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may be fulfilled every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you and we ask that your Holy Spirit speak through your words. Um, we, uh, we thank you for these words. We thank you that um, all the saints that have gone before us and those who have had suffering and persecution, uh, we thank you that they um, were there in this world through your Holy Spirit uh, doing things. And um, once again, we thank you for everything you have given us. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so um, it's interesting. I, I, as I was, I was studying this week, um, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, if you go to Acts, and you don't have to turn there, but Acts 17, if you go uh, at home today or this week, just take, take a moment to read the chapter of Acts 17 because this is, this is kind of the history of what's going on here. And we see Paul come to the city, and there he preaches the word, and it, it says in Acts 17, he was only there for about three Sabbaths, basically three weeks, and he uh, spoke in the, in the Jewish synagogue there, and he shared Jesus. He shares the gospel of Jesus, and he shares that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is here, and that we can have life everlasting because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And there are some Jewish believers, or Jewish people that become believers, and there are even some Greek that become believers out of that. 
And it's really awesome. You know, there's the church. The church starts right there. However, all of a sudden, there are some Jewish people that decide to stir up trouble. And they go after Paul, they go after Silas, they go after the team that's there, Paul's team that is proclaiming the gospel. And uh, they actually get one of the, their own citizens in trouble. He, he gets thrown in jail. Uh, they, they basically accuse him of treason. They accuse him of, of uh, proclaiming another king, which he was in a way, and that's Jesus. And so he gets thrown in, finally gets put out in bond, and Paul and Silas and the team move away, okay? It's not enough for them to get their own citizens in trouble. They find out that Paul is preaching in another city a few miles away, and they actually go there and agitate more people there trying to go after them. So this is, this is the birth of the church here in First and Second Thessalonians. And this is one reason that we see Paul is concerned about the persecution that's happening. You know, um, it's interesting because we see in First Thessalonians, he actually tells the believers there that you're going to be persecuted. <laughs> that you're, you know, we, we, we a lot of times like to try to have these plans of like making Jesus look so good, and he is good, right? He is worthy. But we try to have these little master plans in American society, trying to, trying to lull people into, into the gospel. When here Paul is preaching and saying, it's going to be tough. You're, you're going to lose maybe your life or your family or your livelihood. You may lose family members because of the gospel. Be aware of that. And yet these people still know that Jesus, and I believe through the Holy Spirit, realize that he is worth it, that he's worth this cost. And so this is, this is where the church is birthed in. Very interesting, isn't it? Very, very different than what our... Um, maybe what our church experience is right now and here in this time in America. So let's, let's go to the scriptures here, Second Thessalonians. And um, I'm just going to kind of go verse by verse, just kind of have a running commentary. I don't really have any points, like a three-point sermon here. I just want to point out some things. I just want to point out, and it really... It's the gospel, and it's Jesus at work here. And, and there's a lot here. Even though it's only 12 verses, there's a lot here. So I'll try to get you guys out of here in about two hours. <laughs> but let's, let's take a look at the greeting here first. And a lot of times we kind of breeze over these greetings. It's almost like, um, has anybody ever, uh, ever said, hey, how you doing, when you meet somebody? And they really, you know, in our society, a lot of times... They don't really want to know how you're doing. They just want to say, hey, how you doing? Good. Okay. And a lot of times, this is how we breeze over these greetings here. Okay? And so I love, I love how Paul introduces himself. In, in these letters, in these New Testament letters, they always put who is writing it first. Unlike our letters today, we always sign at the bottom, right? We always know who's writing it very from very get-go because it says who's writing it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and then it goes into who, who this is for. And then verse 2, I love this, and a lot of times we can, we can glaze over this, and almost all of Paul's letters to all the different churches say this, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is an awesome opening. That is an awesome opening to a letter, because it's not just, hey, peace, I hope you guys are doing well. This is actually saying grace, unmerited favor from God, peace from God. Not just like a, a peaceful feeling, but peace. You have peace with God, almighty God, the creator of the universe. You now have peace with him because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is how Paul opens this letter, and it's phenomenal. And sometimes I think we, we, we just kind of glaze over that, right? You know, as, as we read these letters, we just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Paul's kind of normal, normal uh, greeting. This is not a normal greeting. This is grace and peace from God, our Father, through Jesus Christ. 
It's such a great opening. Let us not ever take that for granted. Let, let us not take it for granted in our own lives that we can have grace and peace because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so when I read this, I, I, I always try to not take it for granted. And sometimes I do, unfortunately, but once again, I always try. I actually, every one of these letters, I have those, that phrase underlined in my Bible so I remember not to take it for granted. This is something, a gift from God that we absolutely don't deserve, and yet he has given it to us. He goes on, verse 3. And he goes, We ought always to thank God for you, the church, brothers, because of your faith is growing more and more, and their love is increasing ever more. In the midst, in the midst of, the, of these current trials that they're going through, these current persecutions they're going through, and so, this is not natural, <laughs> okay? This is absolutely not natural. They are having family members. They are, uh, you know, neighbors doing things against them because they have said they believe in Jesus. They are having very hard times being put upon them. And yet, and yet, their faith is growing more and more. Their love is increasing. Their love for each other is increasing. This is not natural. There is something happening here. The church is growing in Thessalonians. And this is not natural. And like I said earlier, they knew going into this, what they were going to be happening to them. First um, Thessalonians ch- uh, chapter 3, verse 4, it says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you were going to be persecuted. So out the front, they knew they were going to be persecuted, and yet they have decided that Jesus is worth it. And so it is, it is phenomenal to see this happening, that as as they are having all these things happening to them, they are enduring, and they are persevering in all of these things that are happening to them. And that is, that is phenomenal. Um, like I said, absolutely not natural. It's kind of an upside-down thinking here. Um, you know, and, and especially, you know, like, has anybody ever seen, like, when stress comes into your own life, maybe? And it gets stressful sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but I will sometimes lash out at the person I love the most. So like when, you know, I'm driving down and I may be um, even on vacation and, and I miss a road or something or the GPS doesn't work right, more technology, um, and I'm getting stressed and my wife goes, well, you know what, I think you just, I don't want to hear it right now, Right? right? And I kind of lash out at her, right? That is my natural inclination when stress is coming into my life. And yet we see here, their faith is growing, their faith in God, instead of blaming God for their persecution, blaming God that, God, why is this happening to me? Their faith is deepened. They're saying, you know what, I love Jesus more every day. And they're also, their love for each other is growing more every day. As these pressures and this junk is coming into their life. Think about that for a second. That is just not normally how it is. And this is, this is one reason that, that, that Paul is thanking God for this. Because this is happening from God, not from themselves. This is not something internal that they're just like, I'm going to pick myself up on bootstraps and I'm going to make this happen. This is the Holy Spirit making this happen in this church. It's awesome. And, and, and so many times when we see the move of God in, in history, we see persecution. We see 
the powers that be that do not like God, and we're going to look at that here in a second, that do not like God, that are enemies of God, what do they do? They go after God's people. They go after the people that have said, I love Jesus. I love God because of what Jesus has done for me. And so you have this movement of God, and then you have this external movement that are, that are actually enemies of God, right? And we all are enemies of God before we have Jesus come into our lives that are actually going after what God is doing in those different times. And so what is, what is phenomenal here is that God is working in this church in, in the ugliness, in the persecution, in the junk of this world. He goes on, verse 5, it says, All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Once again, present, they are suffering through this. And this is a very interesting phrase here, right? All this is evidence, and God's judgment is right. And so it's, 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 you know, if you go to Ephesians, it says um, we were saved, predestined to be saved well before the beginnings of the foundation of the time. So it, 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 they're not being saved because of what they're doing, right? But out of their salvation, there is evidence that there is salvation. Does that make sense? Let me say that one more time. Out of, out of what they're going through, is evidence of what God has done in their hearts and, and has done for them already. And so we see this. It, it, is, it is the evidence of, of people that have accepted Christ and they're not cracking under this, under this suffering, under this, under this ugliness that's going on in their lives. It's also evidence showing those who are enemies of God that are not on God's side, that, that have not, have not trusted in Jesus. It is showing them as evidence as well. Um, there is a, uh, there is a, like, a, I think it's Central or South America, there's, there's a little parable, and I've heard it from different, different perspectives. Usually it's either a fox or a coyote or something like that. And uh, there's a scorpion that wants to get on the other side of this river and the fox or the, or the coyote or whatever will look at the scorpion they're having this conversation the scorpion says hey will you, will you get me on the other side just, just please do it right and, 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 the, and the fox the coyote goes ah, you know uh, you're going to sting me so I'm not going to do it and the scorpion's like oh come on come on I won't sting you if you get me on the other side and so finally he talks this animal into getting him on the other side and as, as they transport onto the other side of the bank, just before he jumps off, the scorpion stings him. And the fox or the coyote, depending on the story, looks at him and says, why would you do this? I just helped you. And the scorpion goes, it is who I am. It's my very nature. And so many times, right, so many times we wonder why the ugliness of this world happens. It's because of sin. It's because of our sinful nature. On the other side of it, why, why would someone persevere through suffering? Why would someone not just say, you know what, I'm tapping out. My faith isn't strong enough. I'm, I'm done. It's because of Jesus coming in and changing our very nature, who we are. So I am no longer Matt the sinner, I am Matt the redeemed. I am Matt a new creation because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so because of that new nature, I'm able to go through this stuff. I'm able to persevere through these sufferings. And once again, it's not on my own. It is because the Holy Spirit comes in and changes who I am. And he is actually residing and doing things in my own life. And so, once again, all the glory, all the credit goes to God, not us. And this is one reason that, that, once again, if you go up there, Paul is thanking God 
for them, for their perseverance, for their, for their faith, for everything that they've gone through. He is thanking God that they are holding on. That's so cool to think about, isn't it? That this, this is something that in our natural selves, there's absolutely nothing we can do there. However, however, in our new nature, we are able to go through those things. Hallelujah. You know, the evidence, and, and, and I, I had a question as I was, you know, I was like reading through this this week. I said, so there's evidence. So who's this evidence for? Who's this evidence for? I mean, honestly, because, you know, God already knows everything, right? So why, 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 why is there any evidence being needed if God already knows what's going to happen? If God already knows he saved me? Why is all this going on? And, and honestly, it's evidence for myself and the rest of the world, be it believers or non-believers. That's who the evidence is for. Um, I thought back to the, um, the story of, um, of Abraham, right? And when he had to, uh, God said, go sacrifice your son Isaac. Did God know what, I, what Abraham was going to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. So why was, why was that all done? It was so that Abraham himself knew that he had the faith. And I think sometimes when we go through these trials, these, these, this suffering, this persecution at times, it is, it is to show us if we actually do have our faith. It's to encourage us in our own faith that those things are happening. Um, another, another piece of this is, is in Philippians. If you want to turn there, Philippians chapter. Chapter 1. And I'm going to start in 27. So Philippians chapter, 20, uh, one, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27. says, Whoever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign, right here's the evidence, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have and so guys it, it, it does matter how we, how we suffer how we suffer and it's been one of the promises that Jesus did give us, right? You will have much trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so there is a false doctrine out there right now saying that, man, you don't have to suffer. If you, if you just trust in Jesus, all the suffering in the world, you're going to be immune to it. That is a false doctrine, folks. Nowhere in the New Testament is that talked about. In fact, it's opposite. It's opposite. That you know what? You're going to have struggles. You're going to have suffering. You're going to go through junk for the sake of the gospel. Just as Jesus went through those things. But, once again, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And this is the amazing thing, guys. Our faith doesn't make us immune to struggles, but it allows us to go through them. So take heart. Take heart. Whatever may be coming in our lives, hard times in our lives, God is going to allow us to go through it and actually give us the strength, give us the fortitude to do that. And so, once again, he gets all the credit, he gets all the glory. And it's awesome to think about that, once again, not being immune, but allowing us to go through it.
And then we come to verse 6. Verse 6. God is just. God is just. And sometimes we look at this world and we can say, man, there's nothing fair about this world. You know, I think the first time I realized that life is not fair is when I went to kindergarten. And I didn't get to be line leader every day. Right? Um, the reality is this life has its turmoils. This life does not seem fair. It is, I'll say this, it is not fair. It seems like sometimes people get away with stuff, right? Does that make us angry? I think every single one of us, if we're really truthful about it, we can look at something and we can say, that's not fair, that's not right. And where does that come from? That, that comes from God, because God is a just God. And so... There is going to be a time and a place, who knows exactly when. Some days it seems like it's coming quicker than what we, we realize. But things are going to be evened out and everything's going to be, everything, everything is going to be punished or not punished. Those, those, um, things that we think that are flying under the radar and no justice is happening justice will come one day rest assured justice will come one day and it's going to be a horrific day for those that do not trust in Jesus for those that have and it says right here this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. And he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I think it's very intriguing how this is phrased here. Those that do not know God or do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You know, I think there's a lot of people, especially in today's society, that can say, I know God, but it's more about, I know about God. And they can spew a lot of facts. It's almost like me saying, I know, I know Abraham Lincoln. Well, what do I know about Abraham Lincoln? He had a nice beard. He had an interesting dress. He had a nice top hat, right? Stove top hat, black suit. He did the Gettysburg Address. He, he died in, in Ford's Theater by an assassin. Uh, he was the president during the United, you know, United, in the United States when the Civil War was happening. Uh, he gave the Gettysburg Address. I, I, can, I, can, I can spell facts all about Abraham Lincoln probably for a while. And yet, do I personally know him? I don't know his personality. I can read about it, but I don't know him. In the same way, there's a lot of people that know about God or think they know about God and may probably go to church. Some may, some may not. Or maybe, maybe somebody here might know about God, but not personally know him. Not personally know him. And there is a way to personally know God. And that, that is, it's interesting how it's kind of broke up here but I don't think you can know God without obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? And, and, and the other question I had when I was, I was doing this study on here, why didn't it just say obeying Jesus Christ rather than obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, what's the gospel? It is the good news. Let's break it down here a little bit. Why, why is it good news? It's because we all deserve... We all deserve this thing that's coming. This destruction. This is what we deserve as human beings because of my sin. I deserve complete des destruction and separation from God. This is what I deserve. And yet, when by faith 
I accept what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. God, in human form, living a perfect life, going to the cross, dying for the sins of the world, for my sins, being rose again on the third day. I put my trust in what he has done. I'm saved. Probably one of the most simple things to do, right? It is simple but hard. Simple but hard. Now, why do I say that? And I was just having a discussion with a, 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 a kid that I've been meeting with. Comes from an Amish tradition. But it's not just about the Amish tradition. It, it could be any tradition. It could be Baptist. It could be Presbyterian. It could be whatever. We as humans do not like to lose control. At least I don't. All right? I like to think I have control. But as we were talking, I said it is one of the hardest but most simplest thing to do. And he goes like, what do you mean by that? And this is what I mean by it. I absolutely can do nothing for my salvation. Can't work for it. I can't strive for it. And I have to swallow my pride and say I can't do it. But I know who does. It's Jesus. It's the perfect work that he did for me on the cross that saves me. It is by obeying the gospel that I'm saved. Coming to the ends of myself, realizing that I can't do it myself, and humbly coming before Jesus and saying, I can't do it. can't do it. I have to believe what you've done for me. And in a society, especially around this area, that is taught that a good work ethic is everything, that creeps into our spiritual life. And a good work ethic is great. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to... But if that becomes your God, if that trumps Jesus Christ, or it's Jesus and then this and this and this, you are lost. It is only through Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone, that we are saved. That we are rescued from this, this destruction, from this total separation from God for eternity. That is the only way that we will be able to be rescued from that. And, guys, this is how we should live our lives after we understand this. Supernaturally, something happens. God comes into my life. The Holy Spirit comes into my life when, when I understand that. And I start living my life in faith. And it's not just about me anymore. In fact, it's not about me at all, but it's about Jesus I believe this is what it's talking about. And this is how we know God. This is how we know God personally. We now have restitution with God. We now have that grace and peace that I talked about earlier with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's amazing. Don't ever take it for granted, folks. You know, one of, the, one of the, common, the common themes that I hear from people as I'm sitting down with them, um, and I've had the privilege for the last three weeks um, as I've come on full-time to, to just sit down and have coffee with guys. And one of the common themes I hear from just about everybody, and some, some may have a point in time, they can point at a date and time when they, they know that they were saved, but a lot of people, this is, this is kind of how their, their salvation story goes. Well, you know, I... I started reading, or I started listening, or, or both, and over a course of time, I just, I'm changed. <laughs> I'm changed. I'm, I, I no longer want to do those things that I know I'm not supposed to. 
that is, that is a hallmark of being saved, that, that God's got you, that he is, he is changing your very heart. That there's something happening internally that I don't want to do those things that I used to do. And, you know, and for, for maybe a, a little self-diagnosis, maybe, maybe, maybe you should look at when we sin and, you know what, unfortunately, I struggle with sin every day. But where's my attitude? Am I just getting away with it because Jesus did this on the cross for me? And so therefore, eh, thanks Jesus. Or am I actually grieved when I do sin? Am I actually grieved when I do sin? Do I understand when I sin that... And yes, I have have a relationship with God, but it costs God something. Do I understand that? And when I meet with guys, a lot of times the guys I'm meeting with that I, believe, I truly believe they are saved, they're grieved. They're, 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 they're hurting because they know that their sin has hurt God, that their sin has led Jesus to the cross. And sometimes they're beating themselves up and I'm like, you know, it's, it's okay but there's something there with that attitude, right? But it, I would be very concerned if someone's like, yeah, you know what, I just I can do whatever I want I'd be very concerned if you're truly saved, if that's your attitude Verse 10, he comes to be glorified in his holy people. I love that. On the day he comes back, on the day he comes, those that are facing destruction, those that have put their trust in Jesus, are going to be glorified in him. What a wondrous, awesome picture. Um, as I was reading this, I, I, just, I just kept thinking about the Passover, the Passover story, when, when the death angel came into Egypt and the households that put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, they were passed over and they didn't have death and destruction hit their households. But those that did not do that, destruction, utter destruction happened in their households. In the same way, there's two, there's two parties here, folks. There is going to be those that are not believers, those are the enemies of God, and those that are believers, those that are part of God's family. And when that day comes, it's either going to be destruction, total separation from God forever and ever and ever, or there is going to be, wow, there is going to be glorification in his people through what Jesus has done for us. And so, those of us that are trusting in Jesus, this is awesome. This is awesome. And so it's good news for us. And uh, as I was reading this, it's good news, and yet there's a heaviness. Because there are neighbors... There are family members that I, I know that have not trusted in Jesus. And so, it spurs me on. It compels me to share Jesus with them because they don't have to be leading into destruction. They can have what we as believers have if they only hear but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that saves. It's only the Holy Spirit that saves. And so I have to trust that God is working, and I am. I know he's working in this, in this area. I know he's working on neighbors' hearts. I know he's working on family hearts. Why? Because the Bible says he is. And so what I do is proclaim, and whatever happens is up to him.
And that, that really is a comfort because it's not up to me to save anybody. But it really is up to God. And he can do it. He has showed himself faithful and true over and over and over and over again. And so there's no reason not to trust that he is not out there right now grabbing people's hearts. That he is now changing lives and making people go from death to life as we speak. And so it's, it's awesome what God is doing right now. And then, as Paul kind of starts wrapping up here, um, verse 11, he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Living a life worthy of the gospel. You know? And this, once again, is out of what he's done for me, what he's done for you. This is not me trying to prove anything. This is me letting go of my life. Just as I let go and understand that I can't save myself, I can't live for him myself. And I was, you know, some of my church background, I was raised in, you know what? Now you need to go out and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this for God. I can absolutely not do anything for God. And even if I were to do something for God, it's not good enough. And so really living out of the gospel is living out of my, okay, I can't do anything, yet letting go of the wheel. Um, how many of you guys back in the day seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I hate that bumper sticker. <laughs> I want to burn that bumper sticker. Because it, it's heresy. God can't be my co-pilot, okay? God can be my pilot. <laughs> but really living, living a gospel-filled life, living the gospel out in my life, I'm letting go of control. <laughs> Which, once again, probably really simple, but probably one of the hardest things. Probably one of the hardest things I have to fight in my own life. Because I like... I like doing things the way I like to do things. But folks, this is, this is what it's all about. It says, worthy of his calling, his power may fulfill for every good purpose of yours. Well, good, if you really get down to it, I can't do anything good on my own. And so it's really what God is doing through me. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, you know, we are, we are saved and we are his workmanship created in him to do good works so when there's a new nature that comes into me there's there's something a new life that comes into me it is more about him than it is about me and once again i i, I truly believe this is how this is how the church in second thessalonians understood it this is how the church lived their lives this is how they their faith and their love to keep growing in spite of persecution. Current persecution. Continually persecution. This is because it wasn't their lives anymore, but it was Jesus and everything that they did. And really, that is my prayer for Mercy Hill, that we will be a church like that. That we will be a church soul focused on Jesus, so full of the Holy Spirit that it won't be about us. It'll be about him. That our love will increase, that our faith will increase day by day. You know, is persecution coming in this, in this country? Probably. I don't know what it's going to look like. Right now, it's just, you know, well, social media may take you off there account we we just had a our facebook account go down for no reason at all except that it said we did something wrong I maybe it's because we proclaimed jesus too much i don't know that's it it's all right but you know that's that's pretty soft um compared to what some of the other world has some of the other believers are dealing with in this world right now 
But you know, as Paul is praying this, he, um, in verse 12, the motive behind this prayer is, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. Once again, more about Jesus than it is about us. Worship team, you can come on up. Um, you know, when we are focusing more on him and less about us, all of these things, all of these things seem to, to hash out and God, God does things. God is always doing things, but um, he seems to be a little more um, noticeable when he's doing those things to, in, my, in my mind. Um, you know, as I said earlier, persecution, probably not something we've had to face, at least as far as the death and life of that or being put in prison. Um, yet, you know, that's not the norm in most of church history. Most of church history, when, when people started putting Jesus first and them, themselves behind that, there's a way of, of, of people, the enemies of God, coming out and attacking them, persecuting them. Um, and this is the thing, guys. Even now, even now, there is persecution happening. Right now as we speak, there is persecution happening in, in, in numerous countries. Um, I was talking to Tom Hirschberger, and he's kind of our mission guy at Mercy Hill. I had breakfast with him a couple weeks ago, and he was just sharing some stories with me. Um, he, he always pays attention to the news, and he's always um, praying with some of our missionaries uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Um, and he, he shared a couple with me, and I just want to share them with you. And at the end here, I, I want to pray for us, but I also want to pray for these guys. These guys that are facing death because they have proclaimed Jesus. And not just proclaim it, but they're living it. North Africa, right now, in a certain country, I'm not even allowed to divulge which country it is, but there is one believer who is in prison right now. I just talk, called Tom last night to see if there's any change. Nope, there's no changes. Right now, in a, in a um, Muslim country, closed country, he is sitting in jail because he's proclaimed Jesus too many times publicly. This probably means that he has no more family. Probably means all his family has severed ties with him, and he's alone in this prison cell. And he was, he was going to be executed on a certain date. They put a stay of execution on that, and now there's a Muslim cleric coming in to make him recant Christianity. That's what he's facing right now. And so they do this, so then they put it on national TV and say, see, Jesus isn't real, this guy just, just you know. And that, that is what he's facing right now. And I don't know if it's going to be torture, I don't know what all it entails, but that is what he's facing right now. Alone in a prison cell, recant Jesus now. That is what he's facing, and, and most likely facing death, regardless of what he does. So we want to definitely pray for this guy. I don't even know what his name is, but we know that he's a believer. Sudan, there's four believers right now um, that were put in prison because they're part of a Baptist church there, and Sudan's had some of their um, governments come and go. There was a, a queue, a queue, um, military queue, about oh, a year ago, and anyhow. Um, came in, took back over. It, it is now going after believers. And so they took four of these guys from a Baptist church that obviously is a little more public, put them in prison, saying, We're, you got to recant. Um, they're on bond right now. They got bail, but they, they're in hiding because if their families find them, they're going to die. But they have a court date. Their court date comes... They are to go before the court. If they still proclaim Jesus, they are going to die. And so they are trying to make them recant Jesus. 
trying to say that Jesus isn't important to them, saying that Jesus is nothing to them. And so we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them, just as Paul prayed for the church in 2 Thessalonians, that, that you know, God's judgment is just, that God, that the evidence will be there, and that their evidence of who they believe in will be proclaimed. So, right now, I, I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for us as well. And then with that, then we will uh, lead into the last song of worship. Father God, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your, your love for us. We thank you that you are always doing things in this world. We thank you that you are a just God. And right now, I pray, I pray for these five men I just, just talked about. These five men that are facing death because of you. Um, they have suffered, there's no doubt about that, but they are, they are facing um, death. And, and I pray that um, your will be done here. We don't always know why things happen the way they do, but we do trust you. And I, I trust them for, um, we trust you in this manner. And we lift them up to you right now. We pray that you will uh, continue to encourage them and continue to uh, give them strength. I pray that you will give them faith and love that will be enduring through this. Father God, I also pray for us as a congregation. Um, just as Paul prayed, I, I pray that you may have your power come through us. And I pray that our acts of faith will be prompted by you. And we pray that your name will be glorified in all the earth. In your name I pray. Amen.